He is back for another episode. Ken Simler, the modular build guru. Did you know that modular builds can span from small SFRs to hundreds of units or rooms for multifamily and hotel projects? I did not, but I do now. Thanks to Ken. I'm Dalton Elliott. This is the Real Estate of Things. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Ken Simler, can't get enough of you. Back for another week, back for another episode. Thank you for uh, for carving out some more time. Yeah, no, thanks for having me back. All right. So last week we ran through modular versus on-site builds. We talked about factories, the labor side of the fence, the industry adopting modular more and more. Uh, I want to kick this conversation off by talking about luxury builds in modular. All right, one thing about modular, you can go uh, kind of workforce housing all the way up to higher end luxury builds, right? So, so walk me through. Uh, y'all just completed not too long ago a, a six thousand square foot luxury build. Uh, walk me through what that process looks like, and I assume it was a custom build. Uh, but, but what does the luxury modular world look like? Well, I mean, it, it, there's a couple different aspects that to really go down. And, you know, for people that are contemplating using modular construction that serve that luxury um, er, or sector, what we actually did, I would say at one level is the customer can really spec unique things in the house. We can do higher end tile work. We can do higher end cabinetry. Um, you know, we, we can do a lot of that, what you would call a uh, trim and detail millwork in a luxury house at the factory. And we can do it much faster than you would ever do it on site, typically to a higher quality. Even I know don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's pride, but, you know, even to a higher quality level. And and that's what we did. That actually house you're talking about was actually closer to 7,000 square feet. It was consistent. It consisted of a very custom house. It took 13 modules to come together and be set over three days to do that house. But what we're finding is people, for example, in Long Island, New York, that are doing their research and finding modular and, and requesting their house be done using modular construction. And really, there is no limit to the size of the house. I mean, it's really how many Legos do I have? Do I make a 10,000 square foot house? Do I make a 15,000 square foot house? One of the things that's really been, I'm going to say, lost on me over these years, Dalton, is there are the, the contractors, the, the builders, the art, artisans that want to build a really super custom luxury house. And they don't look at modular because, well, I, I, you know, I can't do what I want. And what I you know, have been talking to them about over the last couple, several years is, look, the, the glory of being a custom builder and a luxury builder isn't in drywall, framing, electrical and plumbing. That's not that's not where you make your name at. You know, your signature typically is in the kitchens, the millwork, the exterior finishes. And, and it, but it, yet it takes you nine months building on site to get to the canvas complete, get the canvas completed so you can start doing all the things for your signature. What if I could give you your canvas in one, two or three days, not nine months and get you started on your signature that much faster? So could you double, triple, quadruple your production because you're doing what you do best because I'm, I'm basically, you're buying your canvas from me and then doing what you do. So I, a couple options in luxury, but modular offers great opportunities for that luxury custom builder. 
Got it. And and what does that process look like if you are uh, an experienced custom home builder, but you've only done on site, but you're looking to get into the modular world? What 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 kind of gaps are there from a knowledge and process standpoint that you have to overcome or adapt to? Well, you know, in, in that last episode, we talked about, you know, that there just isn't that that transfer of knowledge, that that learning place right now. Um, but that's it. I mean, it's it's teaming up or finding a partner or a mentor or joining up with someone. I would say the biggest thing is understanding how we transfer load in modular and how the structural part works out. I can do large openings. People think modular has to be one of the misconceptions is modular has to be boxy. And I can't have big openings because of all the structure where modules come together. And that's not true, but it's understanding how that has to work. Can I have a 26 foot wide opening on a structural wall? Yes, I can have very large openings, but I also have to understand the cost of doing that. Will my factory use flitch plates? Will they, will it use, you know, engineered lumber to give me that? Where do I kind of hide it or shove it? Or what is that impact of it on the design? Because many times we can make it look like we designed it on purpose, but we really needed something for structure and you still get very beautiful houses you know, by doing it. And that's not something that's typically learned by going to a one-hour class. That's something that's learned over years of experience and understanding it or working with an architect that understands it, which more and more are, but we still don't have near what we need to serve the market. Yeah. How have you seen financing evolve for modular homes? No, that's you know, obviously, you know, with Lima One, <laughs> that's a good question is, so, you know, in the past, it, you, you, we do construction different. If, if, it's, if there's a construction loan, the old adage is you do a little work, you get reimbursed. You do a little work, you get reimbursed. Well, with modular, it's kind of the big bang is the factory takes an order, but they want to make sure you have some skin in the game because 50%, 55 60%, depending on the project, is the bomb, the bill of materials. And so the factory has to go out and buy all of the materials then provide all of the labor and then deliver it to your site. Well, they want paid for it or they want some skin in the game. I mean, they'll say, hey, Dalton, we know you're, you're good for it, but we just don't quite trust you just to do, do all this work and hope you pay for it. You know, when it gets delivered, they, they want the skin in the game. And so that's what the lenders have had to kind of bend their mind around is I have to give, say, 25 percent for a deposit and I don't have anything for it. And so in their mind, it's unsecured. Now, a lot of the consumer lenders over the, the past several years have, you know, I would say the last 15 or 20, actually, we don't have those issues on the consumer side. There are a number of lenders that are fine with, they understand the process, they understand the factories, and typically they will fund it at either some, you know, it used to be they would actually do what we call curbside or pre-curbside. Pre-curbside was they paid it at the factory, just made you had sure, made sure you had insurance for the delivery, and it was all good. Um, some want to see it get to the site before they'll pay for it. And there are a few still that want to have it on the foundation. Um, you know, as we started working with Lima One, I mean, that was part of the process is that them understanding the, the process now more supporting on the spec side, supporting the, the, the builder developer how that process, how they're secured. Because that's the biggest thing with any lender. Obviously, we, you know, you want to be secured and, and you're lending. 
And so we make sure at the factory, it's, you know, it's a respected factory. It's going to deliver, um, that there's insurance through the process so that if there is any issue, it's an insured risk, not an, an un, a, you know, an unmitigated risk. And, uh, and that's pretty much how we've grown into it. And, and, you know, we've started that process with lenders now for spec building. And, you know, the biggest issue right now is in a case by case is when you're doing large multifamily projects where it's 190 boxes and you have what I call that half born baby. What happens if something happens the 80th box in and the factory has been paid 25 boxes at a time by a lender? What happens? You know, where's where's the risk at? And how do you mitigate it? And those lending projects are still done project by project. Got it. I'm glad you brought up the multifamily uh, modular. What are some of the bigger projects you're aware of that are modular? Like how many units? You know, across the across the country, um, Marriott has adapted modular construction to the extent that they can find factories with capacity to build it. I would say probably in uh, six, seven years ago, maybe even more, they adopted it. Now, most of the other flags of the different um, hotel chains are trying to adopt it. But I know the first project I think they did, Marriott, was uh, built out of Boise, Idaho, went to California. It was 192 keys, 192-door hotel. And um, it would have taken them, they believe, 18 months to build a site construction, and it was completed in six. So when you do the PL and pencil that project, you know, they would even they would tell me, hey, we paid three dollars per square foot more for the initial construction, but we had a whole 12 months of operating revenue. It more than paid for that difference. So you gotta, it's always always you'll hear my mantra, it's final cost, not first cost. You gotta look at the end, look at that PL based on the full operating cycle. And but there's uh, Citizen M hotels have adopted it. There's um High rises now, the, the structural steel, I think in New York, I think 32 stories is the one project. Uh, we, we can do a lake gauge steel that gets us to seven or eight stories. We can do wood frame construction that can get us actually up to five stories. And there's hotels, um, multifamily uh, medical facilities. I mean, modular is in a big way. We do a lot of education facilities using modular. And uh, no, it's um, on the commercial side, it's, it's very readily accepted. And in the multifamily projects, a, a company called VBS is um, really taking the taking it by the by the hand and, and blowing it out, doing large, you know, multifamily uh, projects. I did not realize that it, it truly seems like there are no limitations uh, on what can be done modular versus on site, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I really believe modular is ultimately going to become a, the predominant way that we build. Um, single family, it'll take a while, I think, for like the, the top largest builders because they're, they're vested in the current way of building. It's really hard to change the process. And that's what this is, is this change of process for most builders and those who can adapt. I think the, the great thing is for the regional builders who are trying to maneuver around the top 10 builders, modular will actually give them the leg up because as those top 10 builders are sucking up the resources, you know, the sub bases, the supplier network, um, it'll actually give the opportunity for the, the regional guys to be more competitive against those big guys. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, let's change gears a little bit and talk about weather. Right, so uh, as you and I are recording this, uh, Hurricane Ian is 
barreling down on the coast of Florida. Uh, I think today actually it's it's slated to make landfall. So certainly, you know, thoughts with the the crew down there in Florida, and, and hopefully it's um, you know as as light of an impact as possible. But talk about. Uh, what role modular has played and can play whenever natural disasters hit. I know uh, modular played a role whenever Hurricane Sandy hit and the rebuilding there, but what are the benefits and the roles that uh, it's played? Well, no, it's a, it's a great question. Yeah. And my, and my prayers are with the folks and, you know, with hurricane and now too, I mean, it's, it's devastating what, what flooding and hurricanes do. Um, you know, we worked a lot now when like Katrina hit in Louisiana, there really weren't a lot of modular factories that could support that area. That modular hadn't been as prevalent at that time. But when Superstorm Sandy hit, like you said, it really hit the, the, the Jersey Shore, New York, even into Connecticut. It also happened to be right beside the biggest uh, field of factories in the United States, which is Pennsylvania, just a few hours away. And it really gave modular time to shine. And what will typically happen, especially in these coastal areas, which was what this um, this disaster is, you know, looking to be, when that you when FEMA goes in, it's going to say all these houses that were on the ground, we can't have them flood again. If they want to get flood insurance, they all have to be raised up. And I always use it for, as you use as an example. You go to build a deck. If you build it on the ground, it's one price. If you build it eight foot in the air, it almost doubles. Constructing in the air is expensive. But think, keep in mind with modular, I typically have a crane there anyway. And so that was the beauty of super during the, the recovery for Superstorm Sandy. Modular really shined. It was the time that we 50,000 houses got taken out by Superstorm Sandy. And the rebuilding effort actually goes on to this day. But modular really, it got to the point it was super accepted in the area. It was the fast way to rebuild. I mean, on any given day, I could go to Tom's River and eight crane booms were up installing a house. I mean, that was just how it was. And so modular does give an ability to really do quick recovery. And I think Florida, you know, our factories in South Carolina that could actually reach reach that. But um, there are more factories trying to come on board. And, and, and if there is devastation like there could be, I think modular is going to be in a position to really support the people and help uh, help recover more quickly. Yeah, it's such a great thing because they're, you know, it doesn't seem like we're getting less and less hurricanes and natural disasters and the recovery piece is so painful. I, I grew up on the coast of South Carolina and I'm certainly no stranger to hurricanes. And thankfully when I was growing up there, we didn't have any, you know, massive hurricanes that caused major, you know, property damage or loss of life to, to a great extent. Uh, but it was, it was a constant, feature every year that you know you knew whenever you entered hurricane season that you know decent chance you were going to have to evacuate at some point or another and uh, and then whenever there was property damage uh, yeah the the timelines on it can be horrifically elongated and especially i think last hurricane season louisiana just kept getting battered and battered one after the next and yeah, just building on site versus in a factory that has some distance from it. Uh, very easy to see the massively beneficial role that modular can play in getting a speedier, uh, more efficient recovery there. Um, how uh, how have you, you mentioned regulations about, you know, a storm comes through, 
and then changes and says, all right, you need to have uh, everything off the ground from a building perspective. Uh, are there any, you know, I know it varies greatly from uh, locality to locality, but uh, generally speaking, do you find that there are differences in regulations for on-site build versus modular build? Or is it once you get there and start snapping the pieces together and finishing the product on site that there's, there's not much difference uh, versus whenever you would uh, just have an on-site build? Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's a multi-part question right there. It's uh, so we, we, in, in the factory, we build to the international residential code for residential construction. So we are building to the same code. Now every state implements that slightly differently so, for example, in Maryland, they might implement the IRC code for modular construction prior to a site builder. They actually make it more rigid for us. Um, historically, they've done that, say, in Maryland. Um, but in theory, the, the code that it's built to is the same. But once it's on site, now the inspections, I mean, that's the thing that people always ask the question, well, hold it, how do, I, how do you inspect behind the wall? Because it's already got the drywall on, the trims on, it's painted and done. How does the inspector on site know that the insulation was installed properly? And there is a third-party process that every state typically, well, it is different state by state. Predominantly, most states adopt a third-party process. And they take one of four engineering firms and they delegate their authority to that firm. And that firm is making sure one, our plans are built or designed the building code. And then they actually inspect or have a process developed in every factory to make sure that that house was built to that plan that they approved, which actually has state state approval because of their authority. And so that's how we're getting it done. And because I love it, you, people don't realize in about there are 3,003 counties, parishes or areas in the United States. And only about half or less actually have building code enforcement or inspections. So if you're site building, your site builder could be building how his daddy built 30 years ago, has no understanding of current building code. And so you're getting a substandard house. If you're getting it built with modular construction, it was inspected in the factory. You know it was built to current building code. In fact, it's guaranteed to be built to the building code. Once those modules get on site, you know, to the next part of your question, if you're going to install decks, and maybe we could, we could or couldn't build the decks in the factory, depending on where they're located on the module, but then the decks attached, I mean, we're following the same building code. Any construction on site has to be inspected on site. Any construction that was done at the factory is inspected by the factory inspectors. And you will find a label that says it was inspected to whatever the code was that was approved by the state. And that local inspector can inspect actually the set. In some areas they do. They call it a mate line or mate wall inspection. But if you're adding the decks, if you're doing your grading, your foundation, that is all done and inspected on site under normal and built under and inspected under normal site built conditions. We have covered modular. Uh, we've covered so much, but at the same time, I feel like we have just scratched the surface of this. Uh, um, I say like budding industry. It's something that's so um, there's so many efficiency gains. Uh, it's it's such an uh, so much more education and publicity to give to it. So uh, big, big thanks to you for being really a vanguard in the space and continuing to push the envelope on modular. Um, so much of uh, modular is uh, 
in the future out ahead of it, so much more adoption to come. And it's exciting to um, see that coming to fruition today and, and continuing to ramp up and more and more modular. Uh, so thanks for all you do for this space. And, and thank you for carving out some more time and, and sitting down and recording another episode with me, Ken. No, I appreciate the time, Dalton. Thank you. All right. Thanks to everybody for listening. Take care. Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable, common sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team. And that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.